0: Uh, We're going to be in John again. Uh, If you've been here a little while, you know that we're going to be in John for quite a while. We're in John 6. I want to finish John by the end of the summer. So, we'll probably be here for a while. Uh, We're going to be in John 6. We're going to finish John 6 tonight. Uh, We're going to start verse 29. So, just sort of be ready for that when we actually get there. Uh, So last week, this is going to continue from last week, so uh, what we talked about uh, last, sorry that wasn't last week, that was two weeks ago, we weren't here last week, two weeks ago, uh, if you remember we talked about the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus fed 5,000 people, we broke the bread, the two, the little boy with the fishes and the loaves, and he fed a bunch of people with a little bit of food, uh, if you remember that. Uh, So this discourse that we're going to look at tonight, a discourse is basically people talking, uh, the discourse we're going to look at tonight is related to that miracle. And that's usually the way that John will structure his gospel. Uh, So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John writes differently than the other three gospel authors. He doesn't really care about when things happen. He just wants to create this story... That paints a portrait of Jesus. so he's not writing a, uh, a a history of the life of Jesus, even though what he's saying is historically accurate. He's taking things that Jesus did and things that Jesus said, and he's arranging them in such a way, so that the reader, you and me, when we read his gospel, we interact with Jesus. Like we meet Jesus. He paints a portrait of Jesus in, the, in a way that the other gospels don't do. They're more like let's trot out the three years that Jesus was in ministry. Let's just trot it out. We'll sort of explain what happened. And, and, but John is painting a picture. And so he's weaving together what I talked about two weeks ago, these, uh, these three elements. He's, he's, he's weaving together this element of belief where he's constantly beckoning you, the reader, to believe what he's saying. Not to understand what he's saying, not to be able to write a sermon or a paper on what he's saying, but that you would believe, and then he's saying specifically that you would believe That Jesus is the son of God. And by believing you would have life in his name. And this other element that he's weaving in there is life. And we're going to talk about that tonight. He's weaving in there belief and life. And that belief results in life. And I'm going to say that until the end of the summer. That is what John is talking about. That if you believe. The result will be the experience of life. And so I'm going to specify that in relation to last week what we talked I'm sorry two weeks ago what we talked about was that phrase that Jesus says uh, don't labor for the food that perishes so he feeds all these people uh, and then he does something weird and walks across water in the night and the people know about it somehow it doesn't really say but then they, they follow him and then whenever they get to where he is he says hey, y'all, y'all aren't even following me because of the miracle that I did. You're following me because you were your bellies are full. You're following me because I fed you, and you're looking for more food. Um, and he doesn't berate them for that or anything. He's just saying, that's, that's why you're following me. And he said, don't labor for the food that perishes. And that's where we sort of settled in two weeks ago. The point being that we live in a system. Uh, it's not just the American system. It's a global system where what we do and what you will do is, I said this two weeks ago, you'll, you will go to kindergarten they say they're preparing you for first grade. Then you'll go to first grade and they'll say they're preparing for you for second grade. And you'll get to sixth grade and they're preparing you for junior high. You get to junior high, they're preparing you for high school. You get to high school, they're preparing you for college. The college is preparing you for the real world. And what do you do in the real world? You go make money so you can buy food to eat so that you can survive another day to work, to buy food, to eat. So you can survive another day to work and buy food and eat. And since we live in America, some of you are going to buy more than food. You'll buy some TVs and a car and a house and whatever. But it's not going to satisfy you anyway. And so he's saying don't labor for the food that perishes. He, He wants something different than you just surviving. He wants you to have life. And it's a different experience life is than just living. Because that's what we do. Well, the most smart. We just sort of live day to day. And he's saying, don't don't labor for that. And then, so this week, he's going to jump into this discourse where he calls himself the bread of life. And so what Jesus is saying is he is the answer to that system that is so futile of working to survive another day, to eat, to work, to survive, to eat and work and survive. It's a laborious, empty system. That results in nothing. Because you, uh, you just die in the end. And if you live in America and you bought those toys and those houses and those cars, they're, they're going to go to your kids who probably you are probably not going to like your kids. I don't know. They may be spoiled or something. But that's not the point. Uh, the point is, is Jesus saying he's the answer to that system. If you would believe that he's the answer to that system. Um, so, that's that's where we were la- two weeks ago. That's where we're going to jump back into this discourse. Um, before we do that, a little short introduction. Do you guys know what a smoke screen is? You ever heard that before? Okay, so, uh, if, you, if any of you fought in Afghanistan, I don't know, maybe, uh, Vietnam, uh, if, if you were in any sort of military combat, uh, a smoke screen is... And you can do this any way you want. You could do this with a car. You could do this with a grenade. But it's, it's a way where you would put smoke between you and the people you're fighting. And you would do this screen of smoke so that they can't see what you're doing. It's just cover. It's cover for you. Uh, I, I was reading about these cats in Thailand that are pretty ingenious with their smoke screens. They would fill tires with, with oil, light it on fire, and then kick them out into the road. And it just makes a smoke screen. I don't know. Sounds awesome to me. Sounds like a good time if y'all wanna try that. Um on North Street. Uh don't say I said that. Uh so but the purpose of the smoke screen is to create a smoke barrier between you and something else. Uh and we we, we do this. I do this, uh, in my in my life with God. Uh so, uh, example, when I, was, when I was young, when I was, uh, you know, 13, 14, when, you know, uh, lived in the suburbs, went to church every day with, not every day, every Sunday with my folks, uh, and, and youth group got sort of pushy. They wanted me to evangelize. They wanted me to wear Christian t-shirts to school to show that I was a Christian. Uh, they wanted me to not read the Goosebumps books. Did y'all you remember Goosebumps? No? Yeah? Okay. So I had to burn all my Goosebumps books. And my TLC album. (laughs) I'm sorry, shouldn't have said that. But I'd rock some waterfalls, the TLC. Uh, um, Get rid of the secular music. Uh, And it got to be where it just, I don't know, it just wasn't that cool for me. And I I, I didn't fully fit in at the church I was in, uh, especially when I was younger. I didn't fully fit in there. and, and then this idea of total resignation, of me giving everything to God and saying, you have complete control and I don't get to do what I want anymore, was a stupid idea to me. Uh, and so what I did, because I still believe that God was there. Right? I still believe that Jesus was a real person. That never crossed my mind. But what I started doing is I had some real questions about what happens to people who have never heard the gospel. What happens to them? What is hell all about? That seems super angry. Um, what's up with the dinosaurs? How come the earth looks older than ten thousand years? I had like all these questions. I had all these questions. And so some of them were honest, but what I did with them is I used those questions to just make a smokescreen. I just threw those questions down and I was like, God, until you answer these questions, you can't expect me, you can't expect me to follow you while I all these questions are super hard, and I just threw these questions down because inside my smokescreen, I was free to do what I wanted to do. I was free to be the ruler of my life. I was free to listen to TLC. I was free to read my goosebumps. I was free to, I was free to do what I wanted to do. And, and my conviction was, God, until you answer my questions in a way that proves that you are fair and loving and trustworthy, then you can't expect me to follow you, and then here's the kicker so if you really want me, then you better answer the questions. So I took the ball and I threw it back in his court thinking i'm i'm th- I'm the smart one here <laughs> right um, yeah. and and that worked for quite a while um, and I think we d- we do that a lot uh, I think we have intellectual smoke screens like that we have emotional smoke screens like because a lot of that's emotional, like God, you're not fair. I don't. It doesn't feel like you're fair. Uh, another example is, and I'll talk about if you're around a lot. I'll talk about my granddaddy. My granddaddy was super, super close to me growing up. Uh, I, my parents were good, but I was always at my granddaddy's house, and he shot me. He taught me to shoot guns, and uh, he taught me to say words like belly wash and step and fetch it, and I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but he was country. He was cool, man, uh, and. After I became a believer, I would go to try to talk I lived with him for about a year before he passed away, and I would go to him and I really just felt like it was it was like yeah, I loved him that 's for sure, uh, but I really just felt like I need to talk to him about Jesus because I really feel like Jesus is this real historical person and really is the answer to the system that we live in and uh, and I would go talk to him, but he he had these emotional smoke screens because Grandmommy passed away 10 years before he did, and he was alone, and that really hurt him, and he couldn't understand why God could be fair and loving and good and take away his wife like that. Uh, he was in World War II in the Philippines, which is a ter- the, the worst part of World War II, um, just ar- just in the Army and had to cross. Everyone in his platoon died except for him. Uh, and then after that, he got shipped to uh, Nagasaki, Nagasaki. Uh, uh, a month after the bomb, the atomic bomb was dropped, so he got to see uh, the effects of the atomic bomb and 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 so I would talk to you know, hey Jesus talk to him about jesus, and it 's like he 's got these emotional smoke screens right like and rightfully so it 's not like he just throws them down, but they 're real, you know what i mean like they 're real I understand like how that 's hard. To say Jesus is the answer when he's throwing down stuff about Grandmommy and, and World War II and the A-bomb. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know. But it, it's, it's real and it's heavy. But as, as real as those questions are and as hard as it is to understand, they really are, they really are smoke screens to hide you from the central question. The central question being. Is Jesus the divine son of God. Who was crucified. For the world. And has been resurrected. And if he is. He has a right. To my entire life. And he has proven. That he is trustworthy. And loving. By what he did on the cross. If that is true. If that is historical, then he has a right to my life. And not only does he have a right to take it, but I would rather him take it than me or anyone else because he has proven that he is insanely passionate about me and about you. So I realize the smoke screens are there and they're real. And some of you throw them around like I do just to hide from God. But some of you have had some really wicked stuff happen in your past. And they are real and they're heavy and I understand. Like, but you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself. To consider that, that those, those smokescreens are not the central question. The central question is, is Jesus the divine son of God who was crucified and has been resurrected. So, uh, let's jump into the text, and, and we're going to look at how they, uh, the people who were alive when Jesus was alive and saw him do all this stuff were just the same way we are. Uh, we're going to jump in at 29. It'll be a little bit of what we talked about last week, but just for the sake of connecting it. Um, if you remember, we, we got to the end there um, I'm going to jump up to 27 just to, just so we're not lost. Do not work for the food that perishes. We talked about that. But for the food that endures to eternal life. Which the Son of Man will give to you. The Son of Man being Jesus. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Uh, then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Uh, and He answered. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So, uh, so believe, trust, follow me, like believe in the one that God has sent for you. And, and he's already said that that's himself. And, and they said to him. Um, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read a bit further, and then I'll, we'll go back and talk about it. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. So, uh, so the, the work of God is to believe in the one uh, that, that, that he has sent. And they say, okay, we'll just do something cool, uh, perform a sign, do a work, and we'll believe you. And he literally had just fed them 5,000 people, probably more because it just says 5,000 men. So it could have been upwards of 20,000 people if they had their old ladies and their children with them. Um, but he had just done that. And they're saying, Smoke screen, Hey. Uh, Moses fed people in the wilderness. And so, how about you do something similar to that, and then we'll believe you? So what it's, it's the same thing that we do. It, it, the same thing that I did. Like uh, Jesus throws the ball in their court and says, Okay, you want to know what it means to do the work of God? Uh, you believe. And they're like, Uh, okay, cool. We'll believe when you do a trick for us. Smokescreen. Because. They want it on their terms. They want it on their terms. So prove to us like Moses proved himself to the Israelites. If, if you're not familiar with church and you're not familiar with the Bible, that's cool. Uh, they're, what they're talking about is that when Moses led the... You ever seen the Prince of Egypt? Is that what it's called? Disney movie? Yeah. Right? Oh, you got to have seen that. Uh, anyway... Um, Israelite history is that Moses led the Israelites out of uh, captivity in Egypt. um, And when they were in the wilderness going from Egypt to the promised land. They were complaining about food and so God sent them manna, bread from heaven, uh, down every morning. And all they were allowed to do was collect just the day's worth. And they couldn't collect more than a day's worth, just the day's worth. Uh, and, and so Moses proved that he was from God and that they should follow him because uh, bread was coming down out of heaven. And so they were like, sweet, yeah, if you just do that, uh, then we don't have a problem believing you. Um, let's keep going. There's this, I'm sorry, this text has been confusing me, uh, and it, it's sort of convoluted because the people are talking about one thing, and Jesus is talking about something completely different. Um, and it doesn't meet until the end. And so trying to sort of weave this together, it's just been a, it's just, it's a, it's a weird text. So I'm going to read as much as I can and then try to talk through it. Um, okay, so we said that. Okay. Um, so, so Jesus said to them, uh, but okay, basically summarize what, they, what just happened. Prove that you are the Son of God on our terms. That's all. Prove that you're the Son of God on our terms. We don't mind believing you're the Son of God. Just do it on our terms, not on your terms. Uh, and then he jumps in, and, and he says, Jesus, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Here's where it gets cool. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. What he's saying, to summarize, my proof, which I'm not going to do on your terms, is that I perform the will of my Father perfectly. That's my proof. I do what the Father does, and I do what the Father has asked me to do, and I do it perfectly. I don't make mistakes. I don't mess this up. I am like a good little son that looks at his Father and does everything that he does. That's the proof that I come from God. Not me doing tricks with bread, but that I perform and I manifest and I am the living, breathing will of God in front of you. And I perform it perfectly. And what's so beautiful? What is the will of God? It's so beautiful. What is the will of God? I'm, I, I, don't, I don't even want to summarize it. Let's just read it again. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Stop there. Okay, so the will of the Father is that Jesus lose no one, that he loses nothing. And he's talking about people. That he loses none of who are given to him, but give them eternal life. When he comes to judge the world. So he's getting into some real heavy end of time stuff. So just, just a brief jump into that and I'm going to jump right back out. But we've we got to talk about it for a second. What he's alluding to and what the Jews understand and I think what internally we all understand is that if God is good, he's got to do something about how crappy the world is. If he's good, he's got to do something about that, and we feel that inside. Like we see what we, we see what well, we talk about Hitler. We've seen what's go, gone on in Germany. We've seen what's gone on um, uh, in Vietnam and Cambodia. After that, just incredible oppression of humans by humans. And just in our own, and just turn on the news and watch the news and your your heart will be ripped out of you because what's constantly happening in every city in the nation and on earth is people are at war against people. And it, you, you see it and you're like, somebody's got to do something about this. And God is going to do something about that because He is good. That justice will be served on the earth and that everything evil that's ever happened will be punished because God is good. If He doesn't, He's not good. The the only problem is is that none of us are any good. None of us are any good. So either at the action level or at the thinking level, we are wicked and we are selfish and we are depraved and we think about ourselves and fight for ourselves. And we care more about ourselves than we do about God or the people around us. Period. So when he does come to judge the world, it's not that pretty. And it's not you sitting out and being like, yeah, that guy, I knew he was going to get it. It's its everybody. but But what does it say? His desire is... To save mankind. And that by believing in Jesus, Jesus gets the punishment instead of you. Jesus gets the punishment instead of me, which is awesome. But Jesus will take it. And I don't have to. And that's, that's, the, that's the gift, right? That's, that's his desire. That's the will of the Father. And then he goes on to say, He goes on to say how that happens. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I'll raise Him up on the last day. So this is one of those weird things that we Christians believe. Um, If you're not a Christian, I understand this is a weird belief. But the belief is that God is good and that He judges the world. And that by believing in Christ, you escape judgment and you live forever with God. You literally live forever. This isn't like some allegory. It's not metaphorical. It literally is that God's desire for mankind is for them to be with Him forever. And that everything we strive for in this life is futile and laborious and meaningless, but that in Jesus, we can escape that laborious system now and begin living for something more than just food And then when He actually does come again to redeem the world and to make this world the perfect place that it was meant to be, we live with Him in it perfectly. Beautifully. His children living with Him. And that is why He sends Jesus. So this is my proof my proof is not that I send bread from heaven. My proof is that I am the bread from heaven. I am the only thing that sustains life. I'm the only thing that really sustains life because your your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and what happened? They're dead. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Getting ahead of myself. Sorry. Um, let's just jump into 41, 42, 43, 44 and then we'll, we'll go to the very end. 41 through 44... We'll see. So the so the Jews, the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how does he now say I've come down from heaven? Basically. What was he talking about his father for? We know who his dad is. His dad's Joseph. This guy's crazy. Um, Let's go to 43. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one just just think as I read this no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day uh, here's why here this is the whole reason I brought up smoke screens is verse 44 this is the whole reason I brought up this idea of smoke screens um, the New Testament is unequivocal about two things several things but two things I'm going to talk about tonight And I'm only going to talk about this briefly. That it is God the Father who opens the eyes of men and draws them to Himself. It is God the Father who bestows faith to believe in Jesus. It is God the Father who draws men to Himself. That we are depraved in our depravity we can't even call out to god we can't even we can't even believe properly that it takes an act of god to open our eyes and be like no jesus is the answer to this ridiculous system that men are dead and unable to call on god not that he drags men kicking and screaming into heaven and that there's some that want to get into heaven that can't get in it's that he The only way I explain this, he woos them like a lover. He woos them. He shows men how beautiful and loving and necessary he is. And he's the one that does it. He draws men to himself. And that he has sovereignty over the salvation of mankind. He has rulership over it. And the Bible, Scripture, the New Testament, is also unequivocal about the fact that men bear responsibility for their actions and their thoughts that they choose. And so you've got this question that everyone wants to talk about all the time looks like God predestines people, but it looks like men have free will. Now, there's a smoke screen. I'm not going to believe until you answer that, God. And that's a huge issue that for some reason right now we deal with a ton. That God has sovereignty over the souls of men and that men have free will as well. And the point of this text is not to reconcile those. The point of this text is not to answer that question. The point of this text is to say that the Father's will is to pay the highest price in the universe for you and for me and that whoever believes, whoever believes, whoever believes will be brought into the family of God because they have accepted this incredibly high price okay you can and and you you, you might do that you might not do this as much as I do but I jump into John 6 and I fall apart because it's a bunch of intellectual ideas that I can't grasp and then I will fly past the fact that it is the father's will that he protect me until the day of salvation and that he protect you until the day of salvation and the only requirement is to believe in Jesus Christ. What does that look like? And then uh, we'll close up. What this looks like, start in verse 45, get to 59, and that'll be the end of it. Uh, It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me For the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What the heck? (laughs) It's crazy, man. Well, let's... Let's just stop there. The only way you take part in this is if you follow Jesus like a starving man goes to bread, or like a thirsty man goes to water. A starving man doesn't go to bread and is like, hmm, I wonder how much yeast, how much flour, how much water went into this bread. He doesn't look it over and scrutinize it and think about if all these carbs are going to be great for him. He downs it, man. Like, he downs it. That's what I'm talking about. Belief, not understanding. So this is an allusion to the Lord's Supper. I'll talk about that in a m- Jesus may not send bread from heaven like Moses. He may not answer your questions about why you've lost loved ones too early. He may not answer questions about his sovereignty and free will existing together. But he has proven his insanely powerful desire to lead you out of the futile system of labor and death that we live in. And the only way you take part in that is if you follow Jesus like a starving man looks for bread. That's what he's saying. You you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood and it really it really didn't hit me until this morning. Like this this passage didn't really hit me this morning. This morning we took communion. And you take the little cracker and it tastes terrible. Sorry, easily. It tastes terrible. But then you put it between your teeth and you crush it. Have you ever thought about eating something, especially something crunchy? What, what Jeremiah, who was, who was leading the communion, what he said is, this is the, this is the body of Christ broken for your sins. And then you take that bread and you put it in your mouth and you crush it and crush it and crush it and crush it until you swallow it. That's what he's saying. What I give for the life of the world is my flesh. The only way the world receives life is if Jesus purposefully intentionally goes to the cross and allows men to crush Him and beat Him and pierce Him and suffocate Him. And He does that because the will of the Father (laughs) is to get you. And so He may not answer your questions about the dinosaurs or your parents who may have died too early or your grandparents who may have died too early or predestination or any of the other little things that we like to throw down so that we can stay in the comfort of reigning our own lives and we can always say, hey, if you wanted me, you'd answer the questions, man. If you really wanted me, you'd answer the questions. Or you'd fix this. Or you'd do whatever it is that I feel like you ought to do. And if you do it, cool, I'll come to you. And what he's saying is, the proof of my trustworthiness and my love for you is the cross. And it will always be the cross. And it will only be the cross. Because at the cross, God paid an infinitely high price for the souls of men. And so I don't I don't know if you f- I don't know if you feel like God's asking you to do something in your life. I don't know if God's leading you somewhere in a relationship, out of a relationship, to go to a different school, to switch your major, to give up partying, to give up weed, to give up coke. I don't, I don't know what he's asking from you. But he's asking something specific I'm sure. And I don't know what it is. But he's proven. That there is no one else. Who loves you to the degree that he does. There's no one else. That he sees all of time. And that whatever he's asking you to do. Whatever he's asking you to believe whatever He's leading you into or what He's leading you out of, whatever He's pulling on you about is for your own good to escape this futile system that we live in that only leads to death and does not lead to joy and does not lead to life. And that you can throw down the smoke screens all you want, but until you reel back and answer that question, is Jesus the Son of God who was crucified and resurrected? And if so, then He has a right over your life, and He's insanely passionate about you. Um, we're uh, like always. We're gonna have a song. Pray. Um, part of part of what Garth was talking about is, is I don't feel like. We don't feel like prayer should always be this response to me preaching. um, That if ever you have anything that you want to pray about before preaching or after preaching, whenever we're in here, we want you to have the opportunity to pray with someone.